Alrighty, this is the Lord has made. We're going to do what? Rejoice and be glad. You know, there's a lot of things going on in life, but the Bible tells us to rejoice because our names are written down in the book of life. We get to go to heaven. If your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, if you've never really uh, converted or been saved or given your heart to the Lord to follow Him, today's the day of salvation. Amen. Amen. You can surrender to Christ today, and you are not out of place doing that. All of us here used to be filthy sinners. And the Lord has saved us and brought us new life. Amen? Amen. And we're not ashamed of who we used to be because that man or woman is dead. We have new life in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. So I'll read to you from a psalm that encourages us to praise the Lord, and that's what we're getting ready to do. Now, look to the person beside of you and see if they're breathing. Remember that if they're breathing, I got a word for everybody that's breathing. That includes all of you that are watching us around the world this morning. We appreciate all of you that have tuned in around the world and in the states here in the, in the United States. Here, I got a word for everybody if you're breathing. It says, praise the Lord and sing to the Lord a new song and his praise and his praise in the assembly of the saints. That's where we're at. We are assembled together with God's people. It says, let Israel rejoice in their maker. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their praise. Let them praise his name with a dance. Let them sing praises to him with a tremble and harp. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the humble or the humble with salvation. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. To execute vengeance on the nations, punishments on the peoples, to bind the kings with chains, the nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them written judgment. Let me just say, when we praise and worship, we're doing battle. That's how we do battle in the church. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against things in the spirit realm. And that's how we win is with our praise and our worship and with our prayers and obedience. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in the mighty firmament. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. We don't have one, but I'm going to try. Praise him with the sound of a trumpet. Praise him with the lute and harp. Praise him with the timbrel and dance. Praise him with stringed instruments and flutes. Praise him with loud cymbals. Praise him with clashing cymbals. Here's a word to every one of us, including you watching. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Say it with me. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Give him praise one more time. Come on, let's give him praise in his house. Yeah, we praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. You are the way maker. Yes, you are. You're the healer. You're our buckler and our shield. You're the son of the most high God. You're the only begotten son. You are the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valley. 
You're the bright morning star. You are the fairest of 10,000. You are the spotless lamb and the great I am. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the one that is and is to come. Let's give him praise this morning. Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord. Well, if your chains are not gone this morning, they can be before you leave. Amen. Wherever you're sitting around the world this morning, if you're watching us this morning, your chains can be gone. Jesus Christ has made a way for you and I to live in freedom. Amen. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Amen. Leave the Lord praise one more time. Amen. The nursery is available this morning and uh, church, uh, Children's Church is dismissed. You can follow Brother Steve there. The rest of you can be seated. Last week, uh, I did mostly teaching. This week, I'm going to do mostly preaching. So, I'm a preacher. I'm called in between teaching and preaching. So, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm 84. Psalm 84. <clears throat> Spend a little time here, and then we're going to go to the New Testament. <clears throat> Psalm 84, one of the guys writing here that was uh, hung out with King David. He says, How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. See, the world's blind. And so they're looking for things to fill that void that's in here. There's a void, a piece of the puzzle, if you'll have it, that only Jesus Christ can fit in. You can stuff other things in there. You can try to get them to fit in there, but it's only temporary. It doesn't last. There's something that God has put. The Bible said he's dealt to every man a measure of faith. There's something inside of all of us that yearns for God. The problem is we're blind, we're in darkness, and so the devil deceives us in getting us to try and put other things in there that don't fit. Can you say amen? amen? And those other things wind up being destructive as well. We know the wages of sin is death, right? The end of our own choices will bring us death. And let's just realize, those of you that have been saved or those of you that have known the Lord, maybe you're away from God now. You know you do such a good job running your own life, you don't need Him, right? That's not how it works. We've all figured that out, I think. He says, even the sparrow has found a home and the, and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young, even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Now think about that for a minute. The Bible tells us in the New Testament, not one sparrow falls to the ground that he don't know about. The Bible says in the New Testament that he knows how many, he knows the number of hairs on our head. And the way that's written in the Greek, it doesn't mean he just knows how many's up there. It means he knows which one's number one, number two, number three, number four. So when you, when you washed your hair this morning or last night, he knew which ones fell out. <laughs> and for those of you that don't have much hair, it's not hard for him to count. <laughs> right? But he knows everything. Now, that, that's, that's a fearful thing if you think about living in sin, right? That God knows everything because we're all going to stand before him someday. You're going to be judged. But no, him knowing everything about us gives us an advantage. He knows how to minister to us. He knows the things we need. It's just our job to respond to that. 
And here's what he's trying to say here in this part of the psalm. That if God is willing to love the most smallest of creatures, the most insignificant of creatures, how much more is he trying to welcome you and I into his presence? How, I'll tell you how much more. He nailed his son to a tree. He didn't nail his son to a tree for birds. He didn't nail his son to a tree for animals. He didn't nail his son to a tree for uh, inanimate objects. He nailed his son to a tree for you and I, for, for men and women. He nailed his son to a tree so that we could have eternal life. There's no other way for us to get to heaven except through his son, Jesus Christ. Can you say Amen. And then he says, blessed, and this word is a word that means a recipient of divine favor. So God's basically saying with the first part of this passage, you're welcome, you're welcome, come where I'm at. I desire you to come to where I'm at. I want you to be a part of me. Then he says, a recipient of divine favor is what the word blessed means. Somebody who receives divine favor. Now, the word divine is important because all of us can get favor from people, hey, hey, right? Even in sin, you may have favor with other sinners, right? But we're talking about, this separates this word from other words. We're talking about divine favor. Right? That's who the Lord is. If you get divine favor, you get favor from somebody who knows everything about everything. Think about that. The Holy Spirit knows everything about everything. And I, I like to tell this story because this is how the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit knows what the stock market's going to do tomorrow. The Holy Spirit knows what the weather's going to do tomorrow. The Holy Spirit knows what's going to happen in, in, uh, in America tomorrow. He knows what's going to happen around the world, right? He knows every single thing. One of my friends in, in 2008 before the stock market crash, he said the Lord spoke to him and told him to pull his money out. Been good for everybody to hear from the Lord like that, wouldn't it? He didn't know it was coming until he said the Lord spoke to him. He had an ear, right? He was listening to God. And God spoke to him. He pulled his money, set it out on the sidelines. Isn't that beautiful? That's because the Holy Spirit knows everything about everything. If you're running this show on your own strength, you're messing up. If you're using how smart you think you are or how good you are at something, let me remind you, you're only as smart as God has allowed you to be, and you're only good at something because he designed you that way. If you read the Bible, the Bible says men were, God skilled men to do things like work with stone, to work with gold, to work with garments. God's, the Bible says the Holy Spirit skilled those people. So if you're good at something, it's because God made you that way. You may have been diligent. You may work hard. That's good, and that's what we're supposed to do. But if you didn't have opportunity, if you didn't have the skills that God allowed you to have, you wouldn't be where you're at today. So every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, and we we should recognize that God's in charge no matter what we think. He's in charge. And then he goes on, he says, the receiver of divine favor are those who dwell in your house, those who live with God, those who hang out with God, God those who have a relationship with him, right? We're not talking about a building. We're talking about relationships here. They will still be praising you. Why with these people? Why are church people weird? Why do they get in the middle of trouble and they keep praising God? Because they're hanging out with the one that can do anything in the world for them. Right? I'm, the Bible says we're all going to have trouble. And the Bible says many are the afflictions of the righteous. But there's a but to that. But the Lord shall deliver him out of them all. Can you give the Lord praise? So... I told, uh, I was witnessing to a guy one time and he, he was talking about how uh, 
he said to me, he said, and this is a rough guy. He was a big, in the, a big mover in the drug world. And I was witnessing to him. And I said, I was trying to share Christ with him. He looked at me with a smirk and said, you Christians ain't no different than we are. He said, you sin just like we do. And I said, you know what? I said, you're right. Christians do sin. I said, but there is a difference. I said, when I sin, I got somewhere to go and you don't. See, I've got a relationship with Jesus Christ. The Bible says a righteous man may fall seven times, but what's he do? He gets up all seven times. And we don't look back behind us, forgetting those things that are behind us. We press on to the prize of the mark of the high calling. I'm telling you what, I am glad Jesus Christ is on my side. I am glad that I don't have a Savior that just hangs out with me in the good times, but is there when I'm having my worst days. He's there to forgive. He's there to love. He's there to give me direction. He's on my side. And I'm on his side. Can you say amen? And then he says, here's that word again, receiver of divine favor. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you. There it is. That's the key to life. That's the key to winning. And I'm, when I'm talking about winning, I'm not talking about being successful in this life. But that's part of that. The other part is, is getting to the other side and living eternal life from God. The key to that is what he's saying here. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on the pilgrimage. That is the guy that Jesus is talking about in the New Testament when he says, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. This is the same guy here in Psalms. Somebody who says, hey, I've set my heart on following God. I don't care what comes my way. I don't care how many things the devil throws at me. I ain't quitting. I ain't backing up. I'm going on with Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. You're not disqualified unless you quit. You may fall, but you need to get up when you fall. I like what an old-timer said. He said, when you fall, fall forward. Keep looking at Jesus the whole time. And get up from where you're at, repent, and keep moving with him. Jesus didn't come. God didn't look for a perfect man in any of us. He looked for one. He found him. His name is Jesus Christ. You and I are not going to be perfect, but one thing we can do, we can get up when we fall. We can be consistent when we're walking this life and keep our eyes squarely on Jesus. That's our call. And then he says, this guy who realizes his strength's not in himself, right? He realizes he can't do this on his own. He realizes his strength's in the Lord. And then he's also got his heart set on the journey. He won't turn back. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. That's those probably poor choices of word in the English there. When we try to translate that, it means somebody who refuses to be denied. It's like that woman who come and tried to get Jesus to heal her daughter. And Jesus said, he stops, he says, hey, it ain't right to give the master's meat to dogs, right? Now, most people would have been offended and cried and went home, got on Facebook and run Jesus down. Right? Am I, I'm telling the truth. I believe that's the truth. They'd have got, oh, how dare Jesus say that to her? She's just wanting her daughter here. You know what he's doing? He was testing her faith, wasn't he? You know what she did? She'd come back because she refused to be denied. She said, yeah, but the dogs eat the crumbs and it fall off the master's table. And he said, hey, 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 you get it. And he healed. He done that. God's looking for faith. If you think God moves because he feels sorry for you, you are deceived. God does not move because of need. You've heard me say this many times. If God moved because of need, part of the church wouldn't be out this morning, right? We wouldn't have people out in the... He don't move just because there's need. He moves because of faith. That's why he moves. God, if God moved because of need, nobody wouldn't have any. 
if God just looked down here and felt sorry for everybody, because God's looking for people like that woman who wouldn't back down. He said, we're not going to give the master's meat to dogs. She said, yeah, but the dogs eat the crumbs. She, said, he, she kept coming. Jacob said, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. God's looking for tenacious people, not sissies. That's who God's looking for. He's looking for people who are courageous, who refuse to back down. I don't want to be in a foxhole in the natural in Vietnam with somebody that gets up and takes off running and leaves me by myself. And neither does God, and neither do any of us. I'm telling you, God don't even like quitters. The Bible says a man that puts both hands on the plow and turns back is not fit. That's the only thing that turns God off. Your failures don't turn God off. He knew you weren't going to live life without sinning. He knew we weren't going to live life without failing, but one thing we can all do, we can all get up. We can all be consistent, and there's blessing in that. See what he's saying here? There's so much blessing in that. He says, blessed is the man who strengths and use, heart set on the journey. He refuses to be denied. And they pass through the valley of Baca, make it a spring. The rain covers it with pools. This guy who goes through this valley, the valley of Baca is a place of weeping. It's a place of death and dying. It's where they took their trash. It's where they burned dead carcasses. And basically, there's a parallel here. We're looking at the world. That's what the world represents. It's full of death, darkness, dying, and stench because it's on a one-way collision course with God. But God is basically saying this guy who realizes his strength is not in himself but in the Lord, this person who says, I'm not going to be denied, I'm not going to stop following the Lord even if I have to walk through the valley of Baca. That's what he's saying. And we all are walking through the Valley of Baca. Now, the world is turned upside down. They will pass through the Valley of Baca and they will make it a spring. That's that living water John's talking about. That God wants us to live in a dying, dead, stinky world and for us to be the people that have living water coming out of us so that they can taste and see that the Lord is good. That's our call. And you can do that if you don't live in your own strength, right? we got to live in his strength. And then he says, the rain covers it with pools. They go, this person he talks about here, goes from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. The person who lives like this. What's he talking about? The person who hangs out with God. We read that in the first part, right? The person that realizes God wants to have a relationship with him. The person who realizes that praising God and staying with him is the only way to make it. The person who realizes that their strength is not in themselves, but it's in the Lord. The person who is willing to walk through a death and dark and dying place and give out God's water. And then the, finally, he says, that person goes from strength to strength. And this is a New Testament concept as well. It's, uh, the Bible says, if, uh, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. So this word strength here in the Hebrew means somebody who goes, becomes an army within themselves. I said this Wednesday night. I've, not, I've yet to find anywhere in the Bible where the majority is right. It's always the minority. Only eight people out of millions got on that boat. Who was right? The eight were right. So you and God are a majority. Can you say amen? When it comes to dealing with Satan and, his, and, and all of his, you and God. So this guy becomes an army. And he says, the rain covers it and pulls. They go from strength to strength, this army, as each one appears. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. O God, behold our shield and look upon the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. Somewhere God has to break all that in us. To where life 
Now, being with God brings us more pleasure than it does chasing the world. And you and I are all going to go through the garden and be broken with that. To where other things are just not as important as they used to be. <clears throat> I tell this story from time to time because one of the richest guys in the mountains got saved. And we all, all the churches baptized at the same river. And he <clears throat> got saved. It was a big deal. It was a really big deal. He's one of the richest guys in the whole community. And he had a lot of influence and he got saved. And his wife was so excited that he got saved. And like I said, we all baptized, and there was a big crowd that day because he had gotten saved watching him get baptized in the river. And when he went down, he was walking down to the river, and he had his wallet in his pocket. His wife called to him and said, Hey, bring me your wallet. It's still in your pocket. He turned in front of a big crowd that day and said, It's going under too. What a testimony to everybody on the riverbank that day. In other words, he was saying, that's not going to be first in my life anymore. What's going to be first is Jesus Christ. Amen. Somebody give the Lord praise for that. Amen. <clears throat> so we got to come to that place. And let's be honest, that's where a young man and a young woman battle, right? That's where they battle. They battle to where they come to the place where they realize that serving Lord is better than running with the world. And some people never get out of it, right? For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. Think about that. He, he gives you, is it vitamin K we get from the sun or D or both? <clears throat> vitamin D, K, A, B, C, whatever. We get it, right? Vitamin D and the shield. So think about that. God, we all need sunlight, but too much sunlight will, just, will harm us, right? So God is saying, I'm the balance for you. I am everything you need. You need some vitamin D, but you also need some Sun protection, right? <clears throat> the Lord will give grace and glory. And look at this. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Now, I, some of you heard me say this before. That verse used to bother me because I looked at that verse and I thought, that means we've got to be perfect, right? That's all I could, I could see. No good thing will God withhold from those who walk uprightly before him. But I got good news for you this morning. <clears throat> the word upright is the Hebrew word temim, and it means coupled. Right? It means coupled, in other words, together. Not somebody who's perfect, but somebody who stays coupled. And this is illustrated to me easily because I was a coal miner before I went into ministry, and I loaded train cars a lot throughout the week. That was part of my job. And those train cars were coupled together. This is how the Lord taught me this. Because I was troubled for years thinking, does that mean we've got to be perfect? Does that mean we've got our performance is at stake? No, here's what it's talking about. It's talking about somebody who stays coupled. Then when we would go load a unit train, they'd back those trains up in the holler. And as they would come through, we would be waiting to load. And they would come, and some of them would look as beautiful as a brand new nickel. I mean, they were so pretty, Dayton Light and Power or whatever, you know. They were just Tampa Power. They'd back them up the holler, and those train cars were just shiny, and then you just put that black gold in them, and it looked beautiful. But then here would come a car, look like it'd come back from Vietnam. It'd have holes in it that big. It'd have the, the ladder where you'd try to climb up and look in it. would be bent. You couldn't even use it. The doors, you couldn't even get them shut because they were messed up. And we'd have to stick grass sacks in there and cardboard until the coal filled up over top of it and then send it down the road. But you know what? That car went everywhere the shiny ones went as long 
as it stayed coupled. Now, I guarantee you these people in this building have been through some wars. Paul went through some wars. Peter went through some wars. Peter blew it a few times after he was, after the resurrection. He blew it before and after. He was a work in progress, right? And if being perfect is what you have to be to be qualified for something, none of the disciples would have ever walked with Jesus. He made them that because they had that call on them, and he started using them. And so Peter, we see all that, but God's continually working on us. He's looking for people who will not back away, who will not be denied. Now let's look at this passage in the New Testament, a lot of New Testament. Turn with me to Acts chapter 16. In Acts chapter 16, let's go to verse 16, because this illustrates people who live like this in the New Testament. And I'm gonna, this is where we're going to go, and I'll, I'll close after I spend a little time here. <clears throat> he says in Acts 16, Verse 16, now Paul, Paul's been, become a believer, and they, they're going to head to prison for doing the right thing. Have you ever done the right thing, and it's brought trouble in your life? It's because you live in a hostile world, right? Not everybody serves, in fact, most people don't serve the Lord. The Bible says there's few that are going to heaven, many that are going to destruction. You don't have to go there, but that's a choice, right? And then he says, in, in chapter 16, he says, Now it happened as they went to prayer, a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination met us, who brought her master's much profit from fortune tell. This girl had a demon inside of her that allowed her to do supernatural things, right? The devil is a supernatural being. He's a created being, but he has supernatural power. So when people follow him or yield to him, or maybe a demon takes up residence in somebody, they have some supernatural ability. But we have greater because the Holy Spirit's inside of us, right? And the Holy Spirit wants to fill us so that we have more power than demons. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And Paul's going to prove that, right? She's got a demon. She's doing fortune-telling with this demonic presence. And the girl followed Paul and Silas and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, who proclaimed to us the way of salvation. And, and this she did for many days. But she was being sarcastic in it. She was just trying to be sarcastic, trying to aggravate them. Now think about what Paul and Silas are doing. This girl's demon-possessed. She's being sarcastic. They live in a culture that's hostile toward God and, Christ and Jesus, and they're walking. This is their valley of Baca. You see that? They're in the and it's going to get worse before it gets better for them. He says, they're going, they're living out Psalm 84 is what I want you to see. He says, but Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out of her that very hour. So who's got the power? We do. We do. If we tap into the Holy Spirit, we are the ones that have the power. We, the, the devil should be afraid of us. The Bible says if we re, uh, submit ourselves to God, resist the devil, he will flee from us. How about a life where the devil's trying to get away from you instead of you trying to get away from him? That's who we can be in Christ, where the devil is trying to get away from us. Instead of us always trying to avoid him, he don't want to get around us. Because we're trusting in the Lord, and he keeps throwing stuff at us, and we just keep standing up. He knocks us down, and we just keep standing right back up. That's who God's looking for, amen? And then he says, they cast the demon out of her, but when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them in the marketplace and in authority. Now, you see, that's the difference in, in a fraud fortune teller and a real fortune teller. 
There have been soothsayers all through the Bible. They get demons inside of them so they can see things that a normal person can't see unless you're a Christian and you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. You can see things. That's why the Bible says the Holy Spirit will show us things to come. In fact, I was driving back to school one time and I was a spirit-filled believer back then, was serving the Lord when I was in college and I was going back uh, we had basketball practice or something, and I was driving back, and I drove a road that was two-lane, but it was nighttime. I usually could take the middle of the road in the nighttime because you can see headlights coming. That's how we learn to drive in the mountains. That's just the way it is. Because <laughs> the roads are narrow, right? And so we're just, and if you go off one side or the other, you're gone, right? There's one mountain where I'm from that cars from the 30s are still at the bottom of it. Because you just don't fish them out. I don't think the cables on the wreckers are long enough to go down there and fish them out. So I'm driving, and I'm coming on a straightaway. But at the end of this straightaway, there's a hump. And you can't, you know, if there's a hump like this, you can't really see over. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, slow down and get as far over. And I, and I obeyed him. I slowed down, got way over, which dropped me back from getting to the hill at the same time I would have if I'd have kept speeding. Now, I would have got over by the time I got to the hill, because that's my plan, right? But when I got slowed down, I hadn't quite made it to the hill. An ambulance came over the top of that hill, left the road, that's how fast it was going, and had, had the middle of the road. It had been curtains probably for all of us. How important is it to hear the Lord? How much of an advantage do we have by having the Holy Spirit inside of us? And speaking to us. And that's just one instance. You all, many of you all have had some of the same experience. The Holy Spirit speaks something to you, quicken it to you, and you know it's a word from God and you act upon it and it does something, spares you, maybe moves you in the situation. So the, the, the devil's real. We don't take any fact from the devil not being real. But this woman, once the demon was cast out of her, couldn't do that anymore. Effectively. All right? And so now they're upset. And they brought them to the master and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city, and they teach customs that are not law for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. So they didn't say anything about what happened. They're mad because they can't make money off this woman anymore. They had her enslaved. And that, but they're just going to do other things. Then the multitude rose up together against them. The masters tore off their clothes, commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them in prison, commanded the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. Now how about that? Preach the gospel, cast the demon out of somebody, expecting everybody to be excited and wind up in prison. The Bible says they were in the inner, inner prison. That's a maritime dungeon back in those days. That meant they were put in a Roman prison cell beneath it where raw sewage ran openly. They had some of those systems back, to, back day. They locked them in stocks where they probably were exposed after their open wounds. They probably were exposed to rats big as cats down there. Locked. And so that's where they're put for doing the will of God. But these guys are tenacious, Paul and Silas. They're living out Psalm 84. And so they're in the deepest, darkest place in Baca. The stench and all that locked up where they can't defend themselves from these, probably these attacks from the rodents. And so now it says they're in there. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were complaining and grumbling and saying, Where's my phone call? I get one phone call. Is that what your Bible says? But at midnight, Paul and Silas were feeling sorry for themselves, crying and whining, saying, we done good. How come we wound up this way? Your Bible don't say that either, does it? 
But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. What did the psalmist say? He said, while you're on your bed, sing out the praises of the Lord. Why would he say that? Because the Bible says in Psalms that God inhabits the praises of his people. You know what that means in the Hebrew? It means God comes down with his throne and sits it right in the middle of our mess. Now I want to say something to you. It's easy to praise and worship God like this morning. We're all in here with the right same attitudes. We come in here to praise and worship God, to be a part of what's going on, and we should do that. It's harder to praise God when you're in a maritime dungeon with the smell of sewage everywhere, half beat to death, and a rat chewing on the end of your toe that's big as the tomcat you saw on the way in. That's harder to praise God when that time comes, amen? But that's when we need to praise God the most. Because that's when we need his help. That's what it means in the Hebrew that God said, if you start praising me, then I'm going to show up. And he, the Hebrew says he'll show up with his throne. That represents his power, his authority, his healing, his salvation, his forgiveness, his redemption. All those things are represented by his throne. Living water is represented by his throne. The Bible says that from underneath his throne comes that precious living water. God is on your side, but he wants you and I to have faith and praise him. You, that's why we're weird, man. That's why we're weird as Christians. I don't, I don't care to be weird when they say, what is wrong with you? Everything in your life's upside down, and you're still praising God. You're still going to church. You're still tithing. You're still bringing. You're still doing all that because I know who's in charge. And where we're at our worst moment, he said he'd never leave us nor forsake us. So these guys are living out Psalm 84. You see that? They're praising him. And then, it, then the Bible says, guess what happens after they praise him? They didn't whine and complain. They didn't ask for a phone call. It says, suddenly, because these guys were praising and worshiping, suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loose. We sang about that this morning. You want your chains gone? Start praising Start worshiping. Start going to his house. And the keeper of the prison, awakened from sleep, seeing the prison doors were open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Now think about that. How many people would have just took off? But they didn't. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, Do, not, do yourself no harm, for we are all here. What did Paul realize? He realized he had all the power at that point. He realized that God was on his side. He realized that he was still in the valley of Baca and this guy needed some fresh water. I was working with a drug dealer one time whom I learned to love. I was reaching out his whole family. His mom called me one time and said, he's back to the drug house. She said, will you go get him? I had never been to the drug house. This was the one that Charles Manson ran. He, the guy that ran it looked just like Charles Manson. <laughs> I, I, I almost think that was purposeful. And so I said, yeah, I'll go get him. And I'm halfway over to where she told me the drug house was. And I realized I don't have any form of weapon to protect myself. <clears throat> I didn't have a shotgun or nothing. And I thought, 
Fear tried to hit me. Because I'm going into an environment that I'm not welcome in, right? <clears throat> so as I was on the way over there, I had those thoughts of fear was trying to get a hold of me. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And this is how I know it was the Holy Spirit, because I'm a mountain boy. I would have never said it this way. He said, if any man contends with you, I'll take his breath. He didn't say he's going to kill him. I don't know what he's going to do. Maybe he's going to make him pass out. I don't know. Well, when I heard that, I knew I didn't need a gun. I had the Holy Spirit's guns. So I pulled in there, and Charles Manson was the first one at the door. And I told him, what well, he looked at me, and I was looking for the person I was looking for. And when he saw me, he hit the wall like this. He turned and slid down the wall and fell into a chair. They didn't have any electricity or running water or anything in this place. And he hid in that and laid in that chair, and he sat there. When I saw what the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit paralyzed him. When I saw that, I knew I had the whole house at that point. I stepped in the middle of that house and started preaching the gospel to everybody in there. I preached the gospel for about 20 minutes. And then when I was done, I took my friend and we left. Now later on, Charlie sent word to me that he better not catch me out. Well, he was tough then. But the Holy Spirit gave me a word and he's in charge. I knew and then I realized that I was in the Valley of Baca. Was I just going to grab my guy and take off? Or was I going to share the living water? And I so I stayed and shared living water with everybody in that place, right? <clears throat> now, I want to I say this to you. The Bible says be instant in season and out of season, right? That's more than timing there. Basically, what the, 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 the Paul's trying to get across there in the Greek is you don't have a whole lot of opportunities left Make sure you cash in on all of them. That's what he's saying. So God is on our side. We've got to realize we have the power. We don't have to be afraid. And then he goes on, he says, Don't do it, don't kill yourself, for we're all here. And then he called with a light, ran in, fell down trembling before Paul and Silas, and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved in your household. That's how the story goes. And if we had time to read all this, the whole book, we'd find out that later Saul and them went, after they were beat half to death, suffering for the Lord, they went and encouraged everybody else. That's what I get from Stephen, who's living in the firing range of the Muslims constantly over there, who are trying to kill them and destroy everything over there where they're at. He calls me to encourage me. That because that's true. We've got the power. We have the access to the Holy Spirit. We need to live our lives in such a way that God can use us. We are the people called to walk through the valley of Baca. If you'll walk with God, He'll release you from your chains. He'll give you strength. But He wants you to count on Him and trust Him and follow Him. Can you say amen? amen. When you're in a jam, that's when you need to praise God the most. I don't know what these guys sung. I, they may have sung Psalm 146, where it starts with praise the Lord and ends with praise the Lord. They may have sung Psalm 147. That's what they used to do, and, and, and where it starts with praise the Lord and ends the same way. They may have sung Psalm 148, where it starts the same way, praise the Lord. It ends praise the Lord. Psalm 149, the same way. They may have sung them, all of them, I don't know. Or they may have sung Psalm 150 that, says, that starts with praise the Lord, that ends with praise the Lord. Lord, let everything that hath bath praise the Lord. Your greatest weapon is to praise God. 
If you want God to show up in your life, have faith and praise Him, and He will show up. And I'm telling you, it's the times that are hardest that get us complaining, that get us living in fear, but that's the times we need to praise God the most, overcome that fear, overcome that doubt, overcome that frustration, and just look to God and say, I trust you. Just like Job said, though he slayed me, will I trust him? That's where we've got to get. Can you say amen? amen. Let's give the Lord some praise this morning. You got some come to instruments. It's calling us to his side. We are living in the last days. All of us know that. There are people <coughs> around us who are not ready to see the Lord. People probably in your family tree, my family tree, your circles of influence. Are you ready to see the Lord? None of us have the promise of tomorrow. We live life understanding that, that none of us have the promise of tomorrow. You and I are called to be witnesses. If you're here this morning and you're not walking with the Lord, today's your day. It's not, it's not out of place to walk our aisle. You're, you come, you use this altar, you do whatever your business is with the Lord. That's why we're here. Let's stand our feet. We are called to dig wells in the lost, dark, dying world. That's what we're called to do. All of us are called to do that. So wherever God allows your feet to trod, you be ready to give out some living water. That's the only thing that's going to change people's lives is the living water of God. We stand on the brink of the Lord coming back. There's two things that we are eyeballing as Christians. We all understand that death will be a sure thing for all of us if time lasts. But also we understand that something could happen before death, and that is the Lord could come back. And I believe there's a good chance that all of us could be alive when the Lord comes back if we live normal lives. That's how close I believe we are. To the end of time. That's, that's the closeness of the, all this stuff being fulfilled. Now let's not play games. Let's not sit there and let the devil tell us to put it off till next week. Let's do whatever business we need to do with God today. Amen. Whatever business you need to do with God, I want you to come as we worship Him.